I must boast, I will boast about the things that show my weakness. So don't be afraid to admit the weaknesses in your life. Uh, earlier this year, uh, right at the start of 2023, Robin and I celebrated 10 years of marriage. Uh, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, you could you'll probably save that and congratulate her. Uh, <laughs> she's in kids' church this morning, so you can <laughs> congratulate her when she comes out. Uh, yeah, so we celebrated 10 years of marriage, and we... Um, planned what we thought was going to be a really nice celebration. We, uh, <laughs> you know, we planned a little staycation, thought we'd have a nice dinner. Uh, you know, we do all the stuff that you do when you're celebrating stuff. We left church on the Friday because our anniversary was a Friday. Uh, so we left church together, went out for lunch, all very relaxed and great. We had a really nice coffee uh, down in town, booked this, what we thought was going to be a, a really great staycation to celebrate. And uh, we arrived at this hotel where we thought we'd make it a really good choice. And it seemed to present to us exactly what we wanted. Uh, and we turned up <laughs> and it was just rubbish. <laughs> rubbish, rubbish, rubbish. Uh, the boys thoroughly confused. Robin thoroughly upset. Uh, if you want to know where <laughs> so you can avoid it, please do ask me afterwards. Um, yeah, we've, <laughs> anyway. So we, we, th we thought we'd planned this really good thing. This place presented to us what we thought was everything that we wanted. Uh, and at the 11th hour, we were driving around, <laughs> honest to God's truth, driving around this part of town on a Friday afternoon, trying to find uh, somewhere that would have us for the evening and where we could have dinner and where we could celebrate what for us was a really big thing. And we ended up at this place... Uh, again, if you want to know where we ended up, ask me. Uh, but we ended up at this place. It's not what we thought we wanted initially. Uh, we'd kind of looked at it, kind of considered it, and thought it's probably not for us. Uh, it turned out to be way better than the first place. Uh, it was unexpectedly wonderful. And we've been back since uh, probably about 10 times for... Uh, for dinners, for when people are leaving, let's take you out to dinner. We've got guests visiting, let's take you out to dinner. I know a really good place. Uh, so it's turned into our go-to place now. Uh, but at the time, it was so unexpected. We thought we'd book this really great thing. It turned out to be rubbish. But what turned out to be great for us, what is now our go-to place, was totally, totally unexpected. We looked at it and decided it wasn't really for us. But then on closer inspection, it was just unexpectedly wonderful. And it was totally unexpected, but exactly what we needed. And whilst Paul is not talking about uh, great places to celebrate family occasions and birthdays and anniversaries, he is talking about things in this passage in 2 Corinthians that CJ just read for us. Uh, he's talking about things that are totally unexpected at first glance, but when you really get into it, turn out to be exactly what we need. Uh, so we are going to do what we do every week. We're going to walk through this passage together. We're going to see what's going on, and uh, we're going to see how it applies to our life right now. So if you've not done so, uh, I'd love you to join me in Second Corinthians. We've got about three or four, no, it's the date today, about four more weeks left in Second Corinthians. Uh, and then a few different weeks as we approach Christmas. 
It's kind of mad that we're talking about Christmas already. But we like to plan, so that's where we got. About four more weeks in Second Corinthians, and then, yeah, a few different things in the next few weeks. So uh, we're in Second Corinthians 11. We're going to pick it up in verse 16. Uh, and the first thing we're going to see is that Paul is going to give them seemingly on the surface what they want. So this is the hotel that we booked thinking that it was great. He's going to say, look, this is what you want. Here it is. So uh, 2 Corinthians 11 verse 16 says, I say again, let no one think I'm a fool, but if you do, at least accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I'm saying with this boastful confidence, I do not say the way the Lord would. Instead, it is, as it were, foolishness. Since many are boasting according to human standards, I will boast too. For since you are so wise, you put up with fools gladly. For you put up with it if someone makes slaves of you, someone exploits you, someone takes advantage of you, someone behaves arrogantly toward you, if someone strikes you in the face. To my disgrace, I must say we were too weak for that. So since many people in and around Corinth were boasting according to human standards, I too will boast, he says. If this is what you want, then so be it. I'll do it as well. And it's really important that we see there in verse 17, he says that what I'm saying with this boastful confidence, I do not say the way the Lord would. It's not the main point of this text, but it's really important for us to see. This is not a green light for us to go around boasting and telling everybody how, how, how great we are. Uh, he's, this is not normal Christian practice. It's not what Jesus would do, he says. I'm making a point here. This is, this is what you want. This is what you think you've chosen. So, so let, let's go. Let's do it. As many boast, I will too. And this is because you're so wise. It's quite a sarcastic passage. Because you're so wise, let me give you what you want. If this is what you think you want, I'll give it to you. So he's turning their choices and their kind of behavior back to them. He says, look, you, you, you're putting up with this stuff, people boasting. Uh, this is what you say you want in a leader. So here we go. I'll boast as well. And in the 10 years... Um, that we've been part of the church, I can say from experience that what people say they want from you and of you, <laughs> a lot of the time is usually not what they really want. It's what they think they want. It's the hotel that they think they wanted to go and stay at and the dinner they thought they wanted to eat. But really, it's not what they want. They've got something else going on. And now it's coming out to you as, uh, uh, well, anyway. You're so wise. This is what you want. Fine. I'll do it as well. And he says, look, you, because you're putting up with people who take advantage of you. So I'll boast and I'll pretend to take advantage of you. He says, people are making slaves of you, exploiting you, behaving arrogantly towards you, striking you in the face. Uh, it was not uncommon for religious leaders in this place and at this time. You can read about this in Acts 23. First uh, Timothy 3, it wasn't uncommon for religious leaders to command people to be slapped about the face if they didn't fall in line. Maybe they came to church like 20 minutes after the service has started. And we're going to need some people at the back to slap you as you leave. <laughs> some people are laughing, some people are looking down because you're really uncomfortable because you know if this was 2,000 years ago, you would have got a slap this morning. Because church starts at 10. What a providential passage this is for people like that. And Paul says, look, again, sarcastically, to my shame, I'm too weak. 
to be commending that you're all slept. So he makes his point here by starting off his point by saying, look, uh, let me talk like the people that you want to be your leaders. You're so wise. These are the kind of people you want leading you in your life of faith. So let's go. I'm going to do a big boast as well. And so far then, it is really unexpected, isn't it, that Paul is going to talk like this. He's going to take somebody's less than excellent behavior and instead of just straight up correcting it like he's done so many times in 2 Corinthians and even more times in 1 Corinthians, he's taking that less than excellent behavior and he's turning it back around to them. He's kind of indulging them in it and saying, look, if this is what you really want, let me lay out before you what this really is going to look like. Let me boast a bit. So he continues then in verses 21 to 28 with this big, long collection of boasts. And he says there in verse 21, whatever anyone boasts about, let me do the same. Paul's going to show them that he, he does possess what the Corinthians seem to value in leaders. He gives this massive list of credentials, but he does it in such an unexpected way. And the first thing that he boasts about, the first thing that he shares with them is a collection of kind of spiritual and... Uh, who he is and, and where he's come from, boasts. He says, whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I'm speaking foolishly, whatever anyone else dares to speak about, me too. Are they Hebrews? Me too. Are they Israelites? Me too. Are they descendants of Abraham? So, and I read this week that from a human, or a lineage, from a religious perspective and viewpoint, Paul's credentials were impeccable. Paul was in very well, lots of circles, Paul was the man. So he's boasting. Hebrew, yep. Israelite, yep. Descendant of Abraham, yep. And then he gives, his unexpected boasting gets even more unexpected from verse 23, and he rattles off this big list. Are they servants of Christ? I'm talking like I'm out of my mind. Me, even more so. Greater labors, more imprisonments, more severe beatings, have faced death many times. Five times I've had from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I've been beaten with a rod. Once I've received a stoning. Three times shipwreck. A night and a day adrift in the sea. I've been on journeys many times in dangers from rivers, robbers, countrymen, Gentiles in the city, in the wilderness, at sea, from false brothers. And I've worked really hard over an extended period of time. I've had loads of sleepless nights in hunger and thirst. Loads of times gone without food been in the cold without the proper clothes, and he rattles off this huge list. And it's quite unexpected because he's boasting about these things, but from a human and an earthly perspective, which is how the Corinthians were looking at their leaders and how they were kind of wanting their leaders, these are all failures, aren't they? These are not great things. These are not the victories. You know, we read through Acts and we see all the wonderful things that Paul is documented uh, as having done. The churches that he planted, the conversations that he had, the prayers that he, all these wonderful things. And yet to boast before the Corinthians, to show them, I'm just like everybody else. He rattles off this list of, of failures. And you can work through them. You can read about them in Acts so many times. Uh, he talks about how he was beaten, how he faced death. He received uh, five times the 40 minus one lashes. Um, 
Deuteronomy 25 sets out this, this punishment, 40 blows, no more, uh, lest this should be exceeded. Uh, and then it's humiliating. And then by the time we get to 2 Corinthians, it's kind of evolved a little bit. So it's 40, but we should really do 39 just in case we can't count properly and we get lost in the moment and we give people too many beatings and then they're embarrassed. So he's had that a few times. Uh, he's been, you know, again, you read about it in Acts so many times, all these different things. He talks about journeys and their dangers. There are 18, around 18 journeys of Paul in Acts, loads of them dangerous for loads of different reasons. And he said he's tried so hard, he's worked so hard over an extended period of time. And this is his list of boasts. This is, look, if this is how you want your leaders to be, let me share with you my credentials. And he rattles off this huge list that we would not say is of a worldly winner, is it? If somebody was submitting a CV for a job and they sent all the stuff that they've ever got wrong, they're probably not going to get that job, are they? Wow. Wow. How many people work in HR and hire people? Hopefully nobody. If somebody sent you a CV with all the stuff they've got wrong and all the stuff they've broke or stole or let happen at work, you wouldn't give them the job if this was their CV. And so these, he's compared himself to these super apostles. We talked about last week, maybe the week before. And the Corinthians who were kind of being seduced into this flashy, showy type of leader. They must think Paul is out of his mind. He references it a couple of times because they would find nothing to boast about here. And for people who have been drawn into that, these hardships, these failures would lead them to think and would lead them to feel like, well, God is not with me. I've been, you know, beaten, shipwrecked, stoned, mugged, robbed, missed meals, had the wrong clothes. That would lead people to think, some people to think, that God is not with me and I'm a, a, a bit of a loser. Life is too hard, so I'm obviously doing something uh, wrong. And if we're honest, we've probably all been there at points in our lives. Things are going really well, and we think, oh, God is in this. It's working really quickly. I've, I've sent off something and it has come back 30 seconds later. And it's been approved. I've tried to make plans and they've just fallen into place so providentially. God is with me. God loves me. God is good. I'm going to worship. That's great. I get to church at 10 to worship because God is good. My life is going well. And then on the other hand, when stuff doesn't go well for us, we can, be, we can start to feel like, well, God's, why has God been really distant? Like my application's not been approved instantly, or work's going really hard. Uh, work's been really hard this week. It's not going very well this week. God doesn't care about me too much. God's distant. Uh, but as we'll see here, this is not really the case. And so we don't expect Paul to be boasting about himself. He's indulging them in this is what you say you want, so let me ever go as well. Uh, and then it's almost a, a bit of a double. Surprise, because it's unexpected that he's boasting, but it's understandable given the context. But then how he does it is even more unexpected because he's focusing on his failures. He's not sharing with them all their victory, all his victories. 
And it's as we start to come to the end of this passage, we start to see his main point really coming through and we start to draw a conclusion for ourselves as well, living here and now. Because as CJ said, we don't just want to read it. We don't just want to understand what was going on. We want to be changed by this. We want to see what was going on, understand what was going on and what God is saying to us through it. And it's at the end of this passage that that really starts to come through. So we'll read, we'll keep reading uh, from verse 28. Paul says, apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me, my anxious concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is led into sin and I do not burn with indignation? If I must boast, I will boast about the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is blessed forever, knows I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Aratas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to arrest me when I was let down in a rope basket through a window in the city wall and escaped his hands. So he says, look, apart from all that stuff, the beatings, the failures, apart from all that stuff, there is daily pressure that I feel about church about people that make up the church. And he's using really strong language here. He's feeling really compressed by this, very, very anxious by this. Daily and feeling the burdens of church and its, and its people. And he says there, for example, in verse 29, who is weak and I am not affected? He said this in other letters as well. When one person suffers, everybody suffers because church is a community and a collective. Uh, who is weak and I'm not affected? Who sins and it doesn't affect me? So he's feeling genuinely burdened and anxious by other people's character and conduct. So these things, though, is now sharing with the Corinthians. These things, the, the pressure of people. If you've, done, if you've ever done anything with or for people, you know what I'm talking about. The pressure of and the care for people doesn't always show itself publicly, does it? It's impossible. Nobody saw the time that Paul put into his teaching. They just saw his teaching. They read his letter. They didn't see all the preparation and the prayer that went into that. Nobody saw the prayers that he prayed for them. Nobody heard the conversations that Paul had with his team about the Corinthians and how he could serve them best. They just saw the fruits of, of, of that decision. Nobody saw, nobody heard. It's like the iceberg. They didn't see all the stuff underneath. They just saw this little glimpse of Paul when they were together or they read his letters and then... And so they've made their minds up that, all right, Paul, well, it's not stacking up with these other guys who it's kind of all singing and it's all dancing and it's lots of show, but not much substance. Paul says, look, here is the substance of what I'm saying. Here is the reason why you need to leave alone these kind of false teachers that are bringing different gospels, as he said a couple of weeks ago. Here is the substance. I care deeply about you just because you don't see it 24-7. It doesn't mean that it's not there. But the unexpected way that he's showing them this is to boast about all the weaknesses he has as a person. All the failures he's had as a leader, as a person, all the disappointments that he's faced with them 
but also for them as well. He says, look, so if I must boast, and remember that's how they were receiving people. So he's boasting purely because they seem to accept it. If I must boast, I'm going to boast about things that show my weakness. He says, God knows I'm not lying. And he throws in one more example. It's kind of out of loot, out of sync with everything else. One example of how just how weak he was at times, that he needed saving from arrest, not through connections, not through Wasta, not through relationships here and talk to this guy and pay that guy or beat up that guy and get me out. He needed smuggling out of a window in a giant basket, like prison break style. Like That's not a winner, is it? Winners walk out in triumph. Paul is smuggled out of a window in a, in a giant man-made basket. So if I must boast, if this is how you want your leaders to be, I'll do it, but I'm going to share with you everything that makes me a real and regular person just like you. I'm not going to stand here, write to you, be among you. I'm not going to pretend to be anything that I'm not. It's going to be real. And so what is going on here? Paul is showing the Corinthians his credentials. This is why you should take me seriously. This is why I'm real and regular and human just like you. He's showing them his credentials, but in such an unexpected way. And for you and for me, living here now together, there is, there is more going on than a list of Paul's failures and frailties. Because Paul's boast indirectly, and I'm sure that he hoped, I don't know for sure, I'm sure that he hoped that he hoped the Corinthians would get this because his boast indirectly was that he was like Jesus in the life that he lived and the way that he went about things. His indirect boast here is that his life was like the life of Jesus. Because just as Paul wasn't what the Corinthians expected or thought that they wanted, Jesus was not what people expected, what they thought they needed and wanted. Jesus was born not in a palace, but among flocks. After his birth, he was visited by traveling astronomers and shepherds, not religious leaders. Jesus grew up in an unexpected backwater in a nowhere place where people grew up and they had no expectations on them. Like, what good can come out of this place? What good ever comes out of this place? That's where Jesus grew up. Not in the hustle and the bustle of the big city. Found by his parents. He's gone missing, as little boys do. He's found by his parents discussing scripture and theology in the temple not playing outside with all the kids. He builds a team of disciples, of close followers and confidants and counsel from local tradesmen and societal outcasts. He doesn't pick the big, flashy, spotlight leaders like the Corinthians have been seduced by. He picks just the, the regular Joe. 
he confronts self-righteousness and forgives people caught in societally unforgivable sins. He finds more faith in a Roman centurion than all the people of Israel. He talks to a woman at the well who he should have ignored and kept on walking past, but he engaged her in conversation. He forgives sins instead of stoning a sinner. He forgives sins instead of performing. We'll just leave it there. He forgives sins instead of performing. He forgives sins instead of performing flashy, attention-grabbing, newsworthy, physical healings. Although he did have the power to do that, and he still has the power to do that. He's convicted of blasphemy. Jesus convicted of blasphemy and speaking out against God. Jesus, fully God and fully man, convicted of trashing the name of God. He's sentenced to death rather than being triumphantly received by any and all people. And he delivers God's people in such an unexpected way. He rises from the dead three days after dying on the just heinous torture device that was the first century cross. And so just like Paul is showing the Corinthians here, Jesus, we can say, loves doing the unexpected. Jesus came not when, where, how, or why many people expected. He didn't come to meet our expectations. He came to far exceed our expectations. He came to serve and not be served, to seek and to save the lost. Not the guys and the girls who feel like they've got it all together and can present that to other people. And so for you and for me, as we've seen in 2 Corinthians, when we admit we are the lost, as Paul has thoroughly done, when we admit that we are the lost, when we admit that we are weak, that is where we are found. And we are made strong by the Savior who loves to exceed expectations. A suffering Savior was not part of the vocabulary of God's people in this place and at this time. We talk about it and we throw this term around, a suffering Savior. We kind of get what it means that Jesus suffered and died to redeem us from the consequences of our sin. It was not in people's mind. And it was not part of the expectation in Corinth that you would have a leader who is just as broken, just as human, just as weird, just as rubbish as you. They're being seduced into following these, these, these worldly winners. And Paul says, no, I'm just like you. God's people in this place and at this time were looking for a, a military maestro, this political powerhouse to deliver them from the occupying empire, liberate them from the bondage and the servitude that they found themselves under. Instead, Jesus came, and for lots of people, at least, did something so unexpected. He liberated them, not from the, the, the bondage and the oppression 
of the Roman Empire, but from sin's consequence in their life. He freed them not from the shackles of an occupying empire, but from the shackles of works-based, religious, earning, doing righteousness. Something that Scripture tells us really, really clearly is just a losing battle anyway. If you want to engage in trying to prove that you're good enough, then go for it. But it's a pushing the ball uphill kind of endeavor. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, not those who feel like that they've made it themselves. And so if you're here now, today, and you feel like you're a little bit lost, if you feel like you're lacking a bit of direction, you're lacking a bit of purpose, if, if you're here today and you just feel like you're lacking a bit, I would encourage you with the truth that it is for you that Jesus came. And so that is how and that is where we connect ourselves to this text, to what Paul is saying about himself to the Corinthians. As Paul has done for them, what I would encourage you with is don't be afraid to admit the weaknesses in your life. Don't be afraid to be real and to be regular and just to be your weird, broken, late-to-church selves. Don't be afraid to admit the weaknesses in your life. Use them as I have done now. Use your weaknesses as Paul did in your life to show Jesus to other people. If I must boast, if that is what the culture around me demands of me, that I promote something, if I must boast, I'm going to boast about the things that show my weakness, how regular, how real, and how weird I am as a person. Our weaknesses are what show, he's going to talk about this next week, our weaknesses are what show our real strength as people, where our strength comes from, admitting that we're, that we're broken, that we do need help, that we've not got it all together. We don't come to church to display how great we are. We come to church because we know that we need daily grace as we just worshipped with this truth. It's morning by morning. And we need that every day because when we lose that sense of, of self-sufficiency or the idea that we can take care of everything ourselves, when we lose that, which the world will tell you is weak, as was happening in Corinth, when we lose that, when we admit that we are weak, it is there that we are truly strong because it's there that Jesus meets you with daily grace. If I must boast, I will boast about the things that show my weakness. So don't be afraid to admit the weaknesses in your life. So whatever you're working through now, we're a month into a new year. Maybe things aren't unfolding as you hoped they would or as you planned that they would. Maybe prayers that you've prayed about this, this new coming year are, are yet unanswered. Maybe you're realizing we're a month into a new year together and you've bitten off more than you can chew. That life is just unsustainably busy for you. You cannot continue like this in your own power and strength. And again, I would encourage you to use the weaknesses as Paul did in your life to show Jesus. 
because that is where he meets us with that grace. Use the weaknesses as Paul did to show Jesus to other people. Jesus is that unexpected, but exactly what was needed, suffering Savior. Amen. Amen. Uh, we are going to spend now some time together in prayer, uh, and we're going to work through an Acts prayer uh, where we pray in adoration, where we uh, just, we're in awe of, of who God is uh, and what he's done. We're going to take some time in uh, confession where we admit those weaknesses. Uh, we're going to pray prayers of thanksgiving as we're encouraged to do so many times in Scripture. And we're going to pray prayers of supplication where we ask things of uh, God. Scripture tells us, you know, you don't have because you don't ask. So uh, we're going to work through them and we'll, uh, I'll introduce them and then there'll be time for us to pray uh, individually. So would you bow your heads with me? Thank you.